Father, we look forward to the day when Jesus will reign and where um, all the trouble that we see in, in politics and government will be covered, will be handled because He will reign in perfect righteousness. And we look forward to that day. We long to be a part of His kingdom and we long to see more people called into that kingdom from darkness and into that future kingdom. And so we pray that You would establish that kingdom in Your time. We know that it cannot be established until Israel first repents, and we know that that cannot happen until uh, at least the full nation cannot repent until the tribulation. And so, uh, Lord, we await Your Son's return when He draws us up into heaven through the rapture, and then that tribulation comes. And, and while it will be a time of terrible uh, pain and, and difficulty, especially for those who believe, we also know it will be a time of great um, recovery and repentance for the nation of Israel and many others. And so we look forward to that day. Lord, we, we experience the pains and the groanings of being caught between two worlds between this old world which is passing away and between uh, and and then the new world which is coming and which will be restored fully to what it ought to have been uh, at the time of the garden and and um, because of our sin we we brought into it all sorts of pain and and destruction and so until that time lord help us help us to be faithful help us to be strong uh, Help us to be people of Your Word who know Your Word, who love Your Word, and and who uh, live it, who uh, apply it to the, to our lives. Lord, help us tonight even in that way as we look at the psalm. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn to Psalm number 22. Psalm number 22. And as soon as we start reading this, you're going to recognize much, uh, several of the verses in here. Psalm 22 is a well-known uh, lament written by David, and you're going to recognize it because you're going to be reminded of some of the words that Jesus used during His ministry, particularly while He was on the cross. But what we need to understand is that in order for us to understand it, we first need to understand it in terms of what it originally meant. Um, no text of Scripture can mean what it never meant. So we can't just automatically move to what we think it to mean and kind of force our understanding on it. We need to recognize that the original author had a, a purpose in writing it, David, and, and he is expressing here a lament. Okay, in a lament psalm, you're going to see... We've already seen several of these, and we're going to see a lot more as we go through the psalms. But a lament is a psalm that expresses mourning, okay, sorrow, uh, for the psalmist's current situation, but then moves to trust in God. It's not just a complaint. You know, this, this situation is terrible, but it's a complaint, kind of like how I just prayed, that some of that was a lament. You know, that, that it was, uh, we lament our current situation in which we live in a limbo kind of state between this world and the next. We have these groanings for the next life, the life to come where all creation is underneath the, the authority of Christ. And so in that sense, we're, we're complaining in a good way, not in, a, in an unbiblical way. But 
but we're lamenting our situation. But we're also moving to trust. See, we trust God that You're going to make it all right. That's what David does here in this psalm. And, and so he gives this prayer initially, and then Jesus later applies it to His own situation when He was suffering. And, and so for us to understand it, uh, we're going to look at it in terms of what David wrote and what David, I think, meant by this psalm. And then we'll look at at the end, we'll see how it applied to Jesus and, and how it can apply to us as well. Alright, so let me read. This is a little bit of a longer psalm, but, but bear with me and follow along in your Bible as I read. Psalm number 22. This is the Word of God. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but You do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet, You are holy. O You who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, if You are Father, in You our fathers trusted, they trusted and You delivered them. To You they cried out and were delivered. In You they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver you. Let Him rescue Him because He delights in Him. Yet you are He who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But You, O Lord, be not far off. O You, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. From the horns of the wild oxen You answered me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him for help, He heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear Him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before Him, even He who cannot keep His soul alive. Posterity will serve Him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare His righteousness to a people who will be born that He has performed it. 
Did you notice the sorrow or the mourning that's going on in the first part of the psalm? He's he's complaining, he's lamenting, he's sorrowful about his situation. But then it moves to trust. That's a lament psalm. They they start out with sorrow, they move to trust, and that's exactly what David does here. So what do we do when God seems far away? Because that's where David is. The very first verse shows us that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do we do when God feels when God seems far away? There's several things. Number one, when God seems far away, remember the God of your fathers. When God seems far away, remember the God of your fathers, verses one through five. Here, David has a mini lament, we could say, where in verses one and two, he laments his situation, and then he quickly moves to trust in verses three through five. And that's what we want to see here, that that when God seems far away, verses one and two, we need to turn and remember Him, our Father, the God of our fathers. So let's look at God seemingly being far away. It sounds like David is weak in faith here in verses 1 and 2. But this actually, the way that he lays this out is actually an expression of his deep faith. When we first read it, we, we think, David, you, you're, you're, losing, you're doubting here. But notice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To whom does he turn when he feels like God is far away? Does he turn to his friends? Does he turn to his, his own soul? No, he actually turns to the one who feels far away. And so, I would encourage us tonight that, that when God seems far away, be honest with Him about how you feel. When, when David is perplexed about God and, and His uh, nearness and His care for his situation... He, he tells God that. God, You feel far away. It, it feels like You have forsaken Me. Look at this claim that He's making here at the first part of verse 1. My God, My God, My ever-present God, You have abandoned Me. It sounds, it sounds uh, oxymoronic, doesn't it? If that's the word. That My God, My God, My... David knows, we know, God is ever-present, everywhere present, always present. And yet, he's saying, you have forsaken me. The ever-present God, the one who's always here, is far away. He's turned his face away from me. And so the question we have to ask is, is David talking about actual abandonment or apparent abandonment? Is he talking about actual abandonment or apparent? Now, in one sense, we have to say, that he's talking about apparent abandonment. Only he don't, It only seems that way because, again, God is everywhere present and He promises that He will never leave His children. That was a promise given in the Old Testament. It's a promise that we have for us as well in the New Testament. But I think what David is complaining about or lamenting about is that he senses that God's special presence is not there. He's pleading for God to move to action. In other words, David is not looking for an answer. You know, God, why have you forsaken me? And then God kind of rattles off the answer. That's not what David's looking for ultimately. He's not looking for God to show Himself, you know, come in some powerful revelation to show that He's near. I think what David's asking for when he says, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, God, 
When are you going to come to Me? In other words, come and act on My behalf. And so, in that sense, see, the fact that God hasn't act, acted on behalf of David to deliver him from this situation, which we'll talk about, where his enemies are all around, he's dying, the fact that God hasn't acted is, is in David's view, God abandoning him. That God is far away in that sense. That He hasn't come to act. He hasn't delivered up until this point. He's not come to the aid of David when he needs him most. The next part of verse 1 comes across as a statement, but really it's just a continuation of the question. So, why have you forsaken me? And then, why have have you become so far from my deliverance? Or why are you so far from my deliverance? And then the, the last part is, why are you far from the words of my groaning? That's the idea of verse 1. I think that's all just... A, a building on kind of synonymous parallelism. God, why are you far away? Why have you not delivered me? And that's why I say God hasn't come to act. Act that deliverance. You know, my enemies are all around. I'm dying, and God, you haven't come to act. You haven't responded to my groaning. David feels as if. He is trusting in God. And yet, God's not responding. Have you been there? Where you know what you're supposed to do in a time of desperation, and so you do it. You call out to God. You trust Him. And yet, sometimes, those are the times where it feels like God is farthest away. Like, God, I'm doing the trusting. Now, where are you? Why are you not coming to my aid? And that's what David seems to be thinking here in verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day. See, I do the trusting and, and I do the asking. And yet, you do not answer. And then by night. In other words, I do the asking and crying by night. The idea of crying is not just tears necessarily, although it could include that, but, but crying out to God, calling out to Him. So by day and night, I'm doing the trusting. I'm waiting for a response and... I don't have one. I'm in a place of desperation. I'm struggling. And yet you are silent. Have you been there before? Have you found your confidence in God to be strong and your expectation for Him to reply with great power, but then nothing? Have you been in a place where it seems like God is far away? Well, what do you do? What do you do when God seems far away? Well, we've already got a good start here. Call out to God. Just tell Him that He feels far away. But, but then we move on. Verses 3-5. through five. Remember the God of your fathers. Remember the God of your fathers. Although it is true that in terms of immediate action, God is not there. He is far away. Right? In terms of action, God's not there. In terms of presence, He's there. right? He doesn't leave His children. And so what David has to remind himself in a time when it feels like God is far away and when God is far away in terms of action, he has to remind himself of the God of his fathers. That is, the faithful God that he knows. The God who is, verse 3, holy. God, I know, he says, you are holy. Despite your 
unwillingness to come to my aid, to deliver me, to come and act, I still am going to believe that You are holy. And then despite Your unwillingness to answer me, You are known. God, I know that You are known for answering prayers. Look at the end of verse 3. You are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. It's as if the praises of Israel make up this throne where God sits on it. In other words, these many responses that God has had to Israel over and over again throughout Israel's history just swell up in praise from the people. And as a result, God is just engulfed in praises from His people. And David says, I know that you are that God who's been praised 1,000 if not a million times by your people because you've delivered them over and over again. And in verses 4 and 5, he recognizes that his ancestors trusted in God and God delivered them. And you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. And they, in you they trusted and were not disappointed. David knew what we know. And that is that no one has ever trusted in God and been ashamed. It never put their confidence in God and been disappointed in doing that. They've never regretted trusting in God. David knew that because he knew his his fathers had trusted in God and God had responded. So when God seems far away, number one, remember the God of your fathers. Number two, when God seems far away, remember that God is your creator and sustainer. When God seems far away, remember that God is your creator and sustainer. Verses 6-10. through 10. Again, here's a mini lament inside the, the larger lament. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I remember that you are holy. Verse 3, you know, you, you, you have delivered our fathers and so on. Here he does something very similar. He says, he, he shows his lament here in verses 6 through 8 that he's persecuted by his enemies. Now we'll find out a little bit more specifically about his specific challenge. And then he's going to, in verses 9 through 10, remember that God is his creator and sustainer. So first, David is persecuted by his enemies. The focus in these verses is on the specifics. So if verses 1 and 2 were kind of the the generalities, that is, that David is feeling like God's far away, he is far away in the sense that God's not acting. Here, it focuses on the specifics. What specifically is happening to David that's causing him to sense God's uh, being far away? And the answer is that his enemies are persecuting him. Verse 6, they are humiliating him and despising him. He's like a worm, an uncared for animal. The lowest of the low, right? In verse 7, his enemies taunt him. They sneer at him. They separate with the lip. They, they, they mock him. That's the idea there. And then not only do they mock him, but they mock his God in verse 8. Look at this question at the end of verse or this statement that they make at the end of verse seven. They they separate with their lip. They mock. They wag their head and say, "Hey, commit yourself to the Lord. See how that's going to work out for you. Let Him deliver you effectively. Let Him rescue you. See how that works out for you." So what we're going to find here is that David is actually at a point where his body is wasting away, and he's on the brink of death. And it probably came about at the, at the hand of his enemies. 
And what are his enemies doing? They're, they're ridiculing him while he's down. And, and they're mocking him. They're challenging him to trust in God whom they think is worthless. See how that works out for you. See how trusting in God works out for you in this time. Right? Looks like your God has abandoned you. It reminds me of uh, a couple that a uh, young couple in their 20s goes to uh, my brother's church in, um, in Hamtramck. And I may or may not have told you the story before, but uh, this happened just three or four years ago. And this young couple had moved from North Dakota. were here in the States for one year. They had three kids. And their youngest, uh, at the age of one, died without explanation at their house. And so after the initial grief, the um, the police wanted to investigate. They came into the house and started to ask questions, very friendly, obviously understanding that these people have just gone through the loss of their child, but also a little bit leery of them in the sense that maybe they neglected this child. Maybe they wanted this child to die. CPS came in, did an investigation. All this happened without a lawyer involved. And they went to court. And they charged Alex, the wife, with third-degree murder. And they charged Derek, the husband, with first-degree murder. That he knew about this, supposedly, and he just let the baby die. There's plenty of evidence to go against that charge against them. But, uh, and, and, and by the way, actually, he was in prison for, Derek was in prison for nine months during the trial. He actually did get convicted of first degree murder, ended up in the Jackson State Penitentiary, and was not expecting to get out at all. His wife, um, her sentence was time served, so she had her nine months. And while she was in jail awaiting her trial, she had a baby. And CPS was right there to collect that baby and put it into a foster home along with the other two kids which had already been in there. It's a huge trial for a young couple. Unimaginable pain and, and uh, enough grief just losing your child, let alone being convicted of a crime that they didn't commit. And through all this, God was faithful. Um, the, the appeals process went on, and just recently, um, their case went before appeals court, and they were completely exonerated. And after a long period, I think at least three years total, they were able to get their kids back. And it was amazing just to see God's grace to the whole thing. But but one thing that stuck stuck out to me and talking to my brother and sister-in-law about this whole thing, they were kind of um, in the thick of it. My, bro- my, uh, my sister was saying that when this first went to the pre-trial, the judge looked at the initial evidence thinking that these people were guilty. And he said, you know, Derek and Alex, don't think that your faith will protect you from getting what you deserve. In other words, he had already made his decision on what he thought had happened. 
And he didn't think that their God would have any ability to save them from this situation, to deliver them. You see, that kind of experience that David is experiencing, that when he's at his lowest and then people sneer at him and mock him and mock his God, is not unusual, is it? So what do we do when God feels far away, when our enemy is near and they're mocking us and our God? What do we do? Well, I think we do what David did. Look at verses 9 and 10. He remembered the God... He remembered that God was His Creator and Sustainer. Yet you are He who brought me forth from the womb. So here's David still praying. See, God, they are mocking me, but but I remember that you are the one who brought me from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. He's saying, God, you were not only the one who created me, but you were the one who were there, who was there from the very beginning. God here is pictured in verse 9, as a midwife. right, One who receives the baby from the birth canal. And, and David saying, God, You are the one that's been in this position to, to carry me through everything even before I even understood what was going on. That was You. You were the one who compelled me to trust in You from the beginning. The, the picture of the, the child going to feed from his mother. And so David's prayer is, God, I, I don't understand why all this is happening. I don't know why I'm being mocked but and why you're being mocked, but show yourself present by means of deliverance just as you did when I was small. Come to my aid. Show yourself strong, God. And God seems far away. Remember the God of your fathers. When God seems far away, remember that God is your creator and sustainer. And then number three, when God seems far away, call out to God for help. Verses 11-21. through 21. Call out to God for help. Now, this is not the first time that David calls out for help in this psalm. His first four words, remember, are, My God, My God. So, there is an implied expression of David's trust in God when he says, My God, My God. But here, he expresses precisely what he wants God to do. And we should learn from this. That when we talk to God, don't just express our groanings. That's a good thing. Do express your groanings to God. Tell Him what's troubling you. But then also move on beyond that, which is what David does here, and, and ask God for what you're, you expect of Him. Another one, in other words, make your request. Don't just say, God, my situation. My situation hurts. That's a good start. But then tell Him what you expect of Him. You see that? Before we get into the direct request, um, we'll see it in verse 11 and then 19 to 21. But first... We need to see that that David again feels far away, and we learn more about his condition here in verses 12 through 18. So let's skip down to verse 12. We'll come back and pick up verse 11 in just a second. But here again, we have another mini lament. David's explaining his situation. This is what's troubling me, God, and then he's going to ask for something specifically in verse 11, and then verses 19 to 21. But first, let's look at how he's being persecuted by his enemies. He just feels vulnerable, right? His enemies in verse 12 are like bulls. Okay, and I, I say like bulls because it's not like David was actually being surrounded by literal bulls, but he was being surrounded by his literal enemies, but they were like powerful and dangerous bulls who are ready to charge. And the bulls of Bashan there in verse 12 
would have been even larger than just your ordinary bull because Bashan was a fertile ground and uh, so the, those would have been free-range livestock, livestock, so to speak. So he describes them like bulls, verse 12, like lions in verse 13. Lions are you know, powerful and unrelenting. They, when they sense weakness, look out because they're ready to attack and destroy. In verse 16, they're like dogs. I don't think like your cute little dog Fido, but, but think of undomesticated dogs in the ancient Near East which were more like our vultures. They're garbage eaters and flesh eaters. right? They love to clean up messes in that way. And David's like, that's me. I, I'm on the brink of death and they're already starting to circle me like we can picture vultures starting to sense that, that dinner's soon. These enemies are ready to finish him off. That's the point. That's what he's saying. Verse 18, they're like heartless scavengers. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So it's, it's like David's body's wasting away. He's kind of tucked away in an alley or a gutter or something and, and his enemies are not concerned about reviving him and, and giving him food for strength or even waiting for him to fully die. Instead, they start taking his clothes and dividing them while he's still alive before he even expires. And they take his clothes and put them on the market so that they can profit from this dying man. They have no heart. And as a result, David is exhausted in verses 14 and 15. He says, I am poured out like water. I, uh, as I was reading through this, was thinking like cartoon pictures, you know, these things that just got ruined or, or destroyed by someone and they're just kind of poured out like water. David's like, I, I'm at the end of my rope. You know, I, I have no energy left. My body's wasting away. I, I feel crushed inside and out. I have no will to fight, no power to fight. And if God doesn't do something, then God's actually going to be the one that lays me in the grave. Look at verse 15 at the end. He says, And you, God, lay me in the dust of death. That's where I'm headed. David is in such a desperate state that verse 17 tells us that he's basically shrunken and skinny and like a walking skeleton. I can count all my bones. Can you picture it? I can count all my bones. They they look, that is the enemies, they look and they stare at me. So what does David do? And God feels far away when he is being persecuted and mocked by his enemies. He calls out to God for help. He expresses specifically what he wants God to do. This is good this is good for us to, to learn. Verse eleven. Be not far from me. Here's the actual request. God, be not far from me. This makes sense, right? Verse 1, My God, my God, why are you far from me? Right? Why, are you, why have you forsaken me? You haven't come to my aid, so here's my prayer. God, be near me. Because trouble is near and there's none to help me. If you don't help, no one will. If you don't intervene, I cannot win. I will die. So come to my aid. There's His specific request. And then in verses 19 to 21, David expresses his desire for God to act. He says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. Again, that idea of, God, you're far away and that you haven't acted up until this point. And so come to my aid. Come to my assistance. Verse 20, Deliver my soul from the sword. Verse 21, Save me from the lion's mouth. So he's kind of bringing these 
these images that he had used earlier of his enemies, bulls, lions, and saying, deliver me from these that are like those, those animals. Deliver me from the charge of the bull, the mouth of the lion, the attack of the dogs, the pilfering of the scavengers. And the only way that that can happen, God, is if you revive me. You destroy my enemies and revive my physical being. And then in verse 21, at the end of the verse, he says, you answer me. Well, let's read the whole verse. Save me from the lion's mouth. So that's a imperative or a, a request. Save me from the lion's mouth. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. Or, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. Now, this is not an imperative. He's not saying, God, you need to answer me. He's not calling to God for help, but he's actually saying, God, you will answer me. That's the idea of this This uh, present tense verb has a, a future expectation. You know, it's like someone asks you to come and, and help them at their house. And you say, I am there. Technically, you're speaking in the present tense, but you're using a future sense of it. I am there. Well, you're not there. What you mean is you're going to be there. I will be there. That's what David's doing here. I think he's saying, you answer me. From the horns of the wild oxen, you protect me. In other words, you will protect me. And that's why I say David moves from his state of sorrow, mourning, lament, complaint to... Trust. And here's the first part, here, first way we see it. I mean, we kind of saw hints of it before. My God, my God. You know, he's calling out to God. God, you help. But now we start to see that, that David actually trusts that God's going to deliver him. And God seems far away. Tell him your specific request. Call out to him for help. When God seems far away, remember the God of your fathers. Remember that. What do we remember about the God of our fathers? Well, remember that he's always faithful. And then remember your Creator and Sustainer. What do we remember about our Sustainer? Well, remember that He's been there since you were born. He's been there since you were in your mother's womb. And then thirdly, call on God for help. Tell Him what you expect of Him. And then finally, when God seems far away, have confidence that He will help. When God seems far away, have confidence that He will help. Verses 22 to 31. Now, we need to be clear here that in verses 22 to 31, the help has not come. By the end of the psalm, the help has not come. He's not like writing the first part, this is when I was in distress. Then there's a break. God delivered me. And now I'm telling you about what happened afterwards. No, he's saying this is what I expect to happen. He has confidence that God will help. When the abandonment is real and God hasn't yet delivered, what is a believer to do? Well, we're to call on God, trust Him to respond. And that's what David does. He expects that God will come to his aid. And so David, with that expectation of God coming to his aid, he promises to praise God when that, that help actually comes. And he knows that when he praises God, he's going to cause other people to praise God and those people will cause even the nations to. So there's kind of a a threefold, you could think of it like a, um, a um, concentric cir- circles. So first, when I receive aid, I will praise you. So there's going to be praise coming up for me. But then the people around me, Israel, my, the congregation of Israel, they're going to find out about it because I'm going to tell them. And then they're going to praise God. And then eventually, the concentric, 
concentric circle moves out to the nations. They're going to find out about my deliverance and, and they're going to praise God as well. So first, David praises God for his future deliverance in verses 22-24. through 24. David wants the story of God's deliverance to be known, not just by himself. Yes, David will praise God, but, but he will do it among his brethren. Do you see that in verse 22? In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. And then, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. It's almost like He turns to them. In His mind, He's picturing this time when God has already delivered Him. And Hey, you all praise Him. You descendants of Israel, did you see what God did here? I was at the brink of death. And God saved me. David compels Israel to praise God in verses 25 and 26. Not only will David praise Him, but he compels others to do the same. Notice the end of verse 26. Let your heart live forever. Okay, this is David speaking to other believers. And he's calling them who are in distress not to give up. So in other words, he stands he in his mind, it hasn't happened yet, but he, he expects that God will deliver him. And when he's over here on the other side of his deliverance, you know what he's going to do for other people who are in times of trouble? He's going to stand there and say, You know what God did for me? Let your heart live forever. In other words, don't give up on God. You know why? Because I was at the very bottom. I was at the lowest part of life. And God delivered me. And you need to trust Him now too. Keep trusting in Him forever. So, for us, that means... That's consistent with 2 Corinthians 1, isn't it? In our sorrows, God comforts us so that we, through the comfort that God supplied to us, will be able to comfort those who go through similar things. Okay, that's, that's kind of my paraphrase, but, but that's the idea. Okay, So, God somehow gives us comfort and then He makes us a conduit of His comfort to other people. So that when you experience loss of some kind, job, money, family member, health, that some time down the road you'll be like David, looking back, praising God that He delivered you, praising God that He carried you through that tough situation. And then you see someone else going through that and your response is one of praise for being delivered from that, but also being able to help them and be a comfort to them. And this is a model that God had set up long before Paul's letter to the Corinthians, isn't it? David understood this. And we, I think, can learn much from this. That God, God's means of comfort often come through people. That, that we sometimes act as God's face, as God's words, as God's physical hug, Right? So we learn in our times of trouble so that we can help others. David said, listen, when you deliver me, God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remind other people who are at their low point and I'm going to remind them they can trust you forever. Well, David's confident that this praise of God is not going to just remain with him or with the congregation of Israel, but he expects it to go on to the ends of the earth and to future generations. 
that as, as more and more people come to know of God's deliverance, verse 27, they too will praise God. And the reason that they praise God, verse 28, is because God rules over all. It is God's kingdom in the sense that God universally reigns over all things. Now, there's going to be a earthly, what we call mediatorial kingdom. That is where Jesus mediates His kingdom on the earth between God and us. There's going to be a physical kingdom. But you need to recognize there are two kingdoms. Okay, One is there's always been a universal kingdom. The God, it is completely right for us to say that God the Father is King over all. And for us to say that Jesus is King. But there's another sense in which Jesus will be the literal King who sits on the literal throne of David. Right. So you need to recognize there's two kingdoms. But here it's talking about the universal kingdom. Okay, that God rules over all in that sense. There's nothing outside of His control. And this praise in verse 29 will extend on into eternity. He says that those who are about to die, effectively those are on the brink of death, they're going to praise Him. And in verse 29, it seems to say that the dead will praise Him. Um, All the prosperous will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before Him. So, that could be just talking about those who are on their way to the dust, or what I think it's talking about is that actually the the, the physically dead but the spiritually alive. Okay, so anyone have any loved ones that have died and gone on to heaven? That's, I think, what this is talking about. Those people are praising God for His deliverance. And this praise will extend on to future generations, verses 31, 30 and 31 even people who are not yet born, somehow will praise God because of His deliverance of David. Isn't that amazing? That some of God's acts of deliverance in your life, if those are preserved in some way, either through you telling someone else or you writing it down or whatever, but somehow it's going to get passed on. In some cases, for David, apparently this he was expecting that. People in future generations would... Praise God for His deliverance. So when God seems far away, we must depend on Him through prayer and trust on Him for final deliverance. We must depend on Him through prayer and trust on Him for final deliverance. And David gives us a great example. This this psalm is about David. And yet, like many of the other psalms, it's written generically enough to apply to more than just David. Right? It could apply to another king who comes down the road later who struggles on the brink of death and needs God to answer him. It it can apply to us as well. And and in fact, Jesus uses it to apply to Himself. Now, this is not a straight prophecy. You know, when Jesus said on the cross, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? That was not a prophecy that was being fulfilled. A prophecy being fulfilled is there's going to be one who sits on David's throne. Psalm 110. He's going to rule from David's family. That's a specific prophecy that is specifically fulfilled through Jesus. This is a different kind of, of um, fulfillment. We could call this an application of a, of, of a principle. So, in other words, this actually was referring... When David wrote this, he was writing it about himself. But Jesus looks at it and He studies it throughout His life and he becomes so saturated with Scripture that when he gets on the cross, he actually feels the pain of David and speaks in David's language. 
He speaks in terms of the Scripture. Do you know people like that? Who just drip with Scripture? They're so, they're so um, familiar with texts of Scripture that in their very words, you hear texts of Scripture. That's one of the things I pointed out when we were going through our statement of faith. That as we're reading through some of those um, some of those doctrines, you just hear some of the scripture that are that, that come right in those statements. Now, that doesn't mean that they you know they did that all from memory, but what it does mean is that that they were saturated with scripture enough to to speak it, to write it. And I think that's what's going on here. Jesus, he he knew the scripture, he studied the scripture, he apparently memorized the scripture. And the most famous line from the lips of our Lord is found in verse 1 when He cried out on the cross in Matthew 27, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And for Jesus, He knew, like David, that God did not abandon Him forever. So He's not saying, God, You've given up on Me and I'm never going to see You again. And I really hope something changes. David understood that as well. Jesus also knew that He was going to die But his cry to God was in the same way that David cried on the brink of death. And it was this. Not, why are you not present? God was present, right? He's always present. He never abandons His own. But but it was, God, why are you delaying in rescuing me? Why has it been so long? When will this suffering end? You know, it didn't just last, last for a minute. You know, when He was forsaken on the cross... Remember that the the sky went dark for how long? For three hours. So sometime during that period, he's experiencing this real suffering and in his humanity says, God, why are you forsaking me? Why am I enduring this suffering so long without you coming to my aid? And when it was over, he cried, it is finished, knowing that God's abandonment of him was done. God now was coming to his aid by means of the resurrection that would just come in a few days later. And so in one sense, because God is everywhere present, Jesus was not abandoned by God. But in another sense, Jesus was forsaken. And that's why he cried out that way. Why have you forsaken me? And the reason for that is so that we would never be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken for our sake. We sing of it this way, God was estranged from God. God the Son was estranged from, He had been forsaken from God the Father so that we would never have to. You see, Jesus understands the loneliness and the suffering of David and He speaks to God in very similar language. Jesus also experienced many of the same things that David experienced. And we know that because the writer of uh, Matthew in his Gospel says that he, he actually quotes from here in Matthew 39 and 43 where Jesus was mocked by his enemies. And they basically say the same thing that David's enemies were saying, which is, is your God gonna, really going to save you? Right? Is He really going to deliver you? Are you really going to trust in Him during this time? Look at you. You look pathetic. And like, of course, with the enemies of David, the enemies of Jesus divided his clothes. So what can we learn from David and Jesus? I think we can learn at least two things. 
Number one, we are not alone in our pain. We are not alone in our pain. We are not the first to experience the pain that we are experiencing. We are not the first one to be abandoned by God in the sense that He delays in delivering. We are not the first like Derek and Alex who just have their entire world flipped upside down through no fault of their own. We're not the first to go through periods of time where it feels like God is far away. We are not alone in our pain. David and Jesus experienced it first. And there are probably countless hundreds and thousands of people who are experiencing something similar to you that as believers feel like God is far away. Number two, We need a faith-filled despair that trusts in God. And I put those two together, faith-filled despair, despair, because that's what it feels like. It's, it's a feeling of hopelessness. Despair, like this, this can't turn out. It, it, that is, if God doesn't come to my aid, then, then we have nothing. And so we need a, a faith-filled kind of suffering. That is, that we don't let despair overwhelm us. But we also don't just ignore it as if it's not there, right? We just kind of pretend like, well, it's not really despair. It's not really that troublesome. I just need to pretend like everything's good. No, we recognize that there is real pain, real despair, real trouble, but not ultimate despair because it's full of faith, trusting that God will come to our aid. We learn from David and Jesus that yes, suffering is inevitable, but so is what follows suffering. Right? For David, following his suffering was great glory. It was great reward for him and for God. And for Jesus, he had to first go through suffering before he could be rewarded, right? No one gets to glory. No one gets to reward apart from first suffering. And what we need to be confident in is that God will not abandon our soul to eternal death. death. He will give us final deliverance. He will give us deliverance. So in your situation, you need to know that God will give you deliverance even if it doesn't mean getting you exactly what you want. Even if it means you, you actually die. So let's picture ourselves in David's situation. Our bones are wasting away. We're on the brink of death. Enemies are surrounding us. I'm telling you that you will get deliverance. But it might not come through physical life. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying your deliverance is going to come through God vindicating you. Saying what you did during that time was right. And so don't lose heart in your praying and your trusting. God may not respond with the answer you want. He may not respond in the timing that you want. But God is there. He hasn't left. And He will move to action in one way or the other. And so we can trust Him. Any questions or comments?